So, you know, for several weeks now, right, we've been in the book of Galatians, and the Apostle Paul has been making an argument, and what he's arguing is that um, he says, look, you know, we're saved, we, we enter into a right relationship with God when we stop trusting in our own moral efforts or in our own ability to abide by the rules or keep the law, and when we trust instead on the finished work of Christ. Uh, and he says, hey, when we live that way, it creates a whole new motivation for everything that we say and everything that we do. Uh, and now Paul is going to argue that the gospel Not only is it the way that we enter into the kingdom of God, but it's so much more than that. He's going to argue that it's transformative, and we're going to talk about why here. And Paul's going to say that, look, we don't just begin with the gospel. The gospel isn't something that we start with and then we leave it behind. And I used to be guilty of this as a younger pastor. I really, there was a season where I taught the gospel like it was something that we received once and then we moved on from it. And now I'm absolutely convinced that we have to view everything through the lens of the gospel. Everything that happens to us in our lives through the lens of the gospel. And the gospel isn't just something we receive once and move on from. The gospel is something we have to continue to live out of every single day. And that is what grows us. That is what changes us. That is what shapes us. It's the gospel. So what I'm telling you is in the same way the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the death, his death, his burial, and his resurrection uh, for, to bring new life and the forgiveness of sins. That's what the gospel is. That's all the good news of Jesus is. And so Paul has been arguing for two chapters now that we need to quit trusting in our own efforts at morality and trust instead on the finished work of Christ. And so the wonderful, incredible truth we get to wrap our arms around together this morning is the truth that the God of the universe will make himself at home in our hearts, in the deepest, most intimate parts of our lives, and that 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 Spirit of God lives and moves and breathes within each of us when we say yes to Christ. In other words, that in response to the gospel, the Holy Spirit moves in into every man, every woman, into every life that would uh, open themselves up so that we now are His dwelling. We in this room are the temple of God. Therefore, God no longer lives in temples built by human hands because you and I have become that very temple. And so here's how he says it. We'll just kind of walk through uh, a few of these verses together. He starts out really sternly, right? He says, hey, you're being foolish, you foolish Galatians. And then he says, who has bewitched you? In other words, who's cast a spell on you? People are trying to pervert the real true gospel of Christ, and they're trying to make it about morality. They're trying to make it about simply being a good person, right? And he says, look, the law's already outed all of us that we can't be good people. 
So, uh, you know, we need to trust in the gospel. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He's not saying that the Galatians saw Jesus crucified. What he's saying is that he spoke of the crucifixion of Jesus in their midst in such a way that um, he painted a picture of that and they responded to that picture of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so then he says in verse 2, let me ask you one thing. Did you receive the Spirit because you keep the law? Do you receive the Holy Spirit because you're a good person? Or do you receive the Holy Spirit because you, or by, he, by hearing with faith? In other words, because you believe what you heard. And then he says it again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh so it's interesting he uses that word here foolish two different times and what he's saying is look it's foolish to begin by the spirit and then move away from that and begin to put your trust and your faith in your own effort again and we all do this every one of us in the room can be guilty of this from time to time so here's what it looks like maybe you hear the gospel the good news of Jesus you say yes to that you open yourself up to the love of God you accept the love of God you believe that God demonstrated his love for you in this that while you were a sinner Christ died for you but then you begin to think okay but now I got to do all these things right I got to have a daily quiet time and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do this and if I don't do those things God won't love me anymore or God won't be proud of me and so we begin to rely on our own effort our own ability to do things or keep the law or live by the rules right and so we begin to drift away from the good news the simplicity of the good news of Jesus right and then he he goes on in verse 4 to say this did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain And then he asks the question again, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so because you keep the law by works of the law or because you believe what you heard or by hearing with faith? And here's, I want to point out something. Folks, the Christian life is meant to be a miraculously lived life. It is supposed to be a supernatural life. The call of Christianity is not to move from a bad person to a good person. The call of the Spirit, the call of Christianity, God came, Christ came, to make dead people live. Right? Not bad people good and that only happens by the spirit it does not happen by your self-discipline it does not happen by your effort it happens by the spirit of God and the Christian life is meant to be a supernatural life a miraculous life when it's lived in proximity to the spirit of God So uh, we don't have to be paupers. We don't have to just scrape by. The Spirit of God in you renders you capable of living the victorious Christian life. Of living a life that is indeed miraculous and supernatural. And it's so important to understand this. And then 
He references in verse 6 this character named Abraham. I want to talk just a little about Abraham. So Paul is arguing with teachers of the law, and in Judaism in the Old Testament, Abraham is a very important character. He's considered the centerpiece of the Jewish faith. In fact, in Genesis 12, God shows up and he says to Abraham, look, I'm going I'm to use you to bless all the nations. And what was happening is these teachers of the law were coming to Galatia and they were saying this, the reason that Abraham was a blessing to all the nations was because he was a steward of the law, because, you know, he kept the law. And Paul says, no, that's not true at all. Abraham was a man of faith, and it was his faith that was credited to him as righteousness. So, uh, and then he goes on to say this, Abraham believed God, right, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul goes through kind of a long argument where he argues that this blessing that was going to come to all the nations, in other words, you and me, came through Abraham, but it came through faith. He says it did not come through the law. And then he concludes with these words, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us or purchased us or bought us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So this is interesting. Here Paul says something pretty strongly. He says, if I'm relying on observing the law, if I put myself as one living under the old covenant... I'm putting myself under a curse. And this is super important to understand because you go, well, how is that even possible? Because elsewhere, Paul says things like, well, the law is holy and the law is good and the law reveals the character of God. And all of those things are still true. However, if you put yourself under that old covenant, you put yourself under under a curse. Here's why. And we've talked about this before. We've said that the law could only diagnose your spiritual condition. It couldn't bring a cure in and of itself. Think about it this way. If you were to get cancer and you were to go to the hospital, they would put you in an MRI machine and then that MRI machine would diagnose your condition. It would tell you what areas of your body you have cancer in, right? But an MRI by itself, it can't do anything to bring a cure for your cancer. It can only show you what your problem is. In the same way, the law was never able to do more than bring a diagnosis of your problem. In other words, all the law could ever do was demonstrate your unwillingness to keep it. My unwillingness or inability to keep it. Therefore, it outed us all as sinners. And that's the curse that Paul is referring to. And he's saying, look, if you keep living that way, if you don't let the law lead you to Jesus, it's just a curse to you. There's no blessing in the law apart from Christ. Christ is the healing nature. Christ is the solution to our inability or our unwillingness to keep the law. It's Him and it's Him alone. It's Him and it's always been only Him. 
right? And then he goes on to say, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, in other words, the blessing that God promised to him way back in Genesis 12, right? That it might come to the Gentiles so that we, you and I in this room, might receive the promised Holy Spirit by faith. Now, here's a couple of things I want to say. The key to a victorious Christian life is found in the Holy Spirit of God, not in your self-discipline, not in your effort. The the supernatural life comes through a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life, not keeping the rules, not moving from a bad person to a good person, right? Right? Jesus came to make dead people live, not bad people good. So uh, when Paul says here, kind of reminds us of a couple of things. He says, first of all, when someone believes what they hear about Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. And this is widely taught throughout the New Testament. I do want to show you one other verse that talks about this. This is from the book of Ephesians. This is in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let's look together at what it says. In Him, in other words, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now let's stop there. Uh, This word sealed harkens us back to like canning. So if you've ever, maybe your grandmother canned or your aunt canned, somebody you knew canned, they would take green beans or whatever and put it in there and they would seal that jar of green beans to keep it fresh so that no air could get in there, right? That's this word sealing, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, is the same idea, almost as if God is canning you, preserving you, protecting you so that he can present you blameless at Christ Jesus at the end of your days. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit when? The moment that we first receive and trust and believe in Jesus, So the Holy Spirit comes into our life at that very moment. And then look what it goes on to say. It says that He is the guarantee, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some versions say that the Holy Spirit is the down payment guaranteeing the inheritance or our future inheritance. So all of us get this, right? Because all of us know what it's like if we're going to buy a truck or a car to go and we make a down payment on the truck or the car. Or if we're going to buy a house, we make a down payment guaranteeing that our intention to purchase that home, right? So in the same way, Paul's teaching here that the Holy Spirit is given to you and given to me given to all who say yes to Jesus as a down payment guaranteeing the coming of our future inheritance. In other words, our full rights as sons and daughters of God. Because we don't have those full rights yet. But the Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment guaranteeing that those rights are going to come. And what I need us to see, we're going to look at one more passage of Scripture, and then we're just going to make some application together. I need us to see that this Holy Spirit was the same Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. In fact, one day, this is kind of shocking, Jesus was looking at his followers, and here's what he said. He said, hey, it is for your good 
that I go away? Because if I go away, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Right? So uh, Jesus really believed that it was better for you and I to have the Holy Spirit in our lives than to be able to live life in close proximity to Him in the way that the disciples did. So in some way that we actually have a leg up on the disciples who were with Jesus every day for three years. And so Jesus would promise the coming of this Spirit. And I want us to look at one time where He did. Um, And this is John 7. Here's what He said. First we're told, on the last day of the feast, and it's so important we understand the context for Jesus' statement. This was the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a feast that God's people used to celebrate. And this makes this statement so mind-blowing of Jesus. This was a feast that the people of God would use to commemorate the presence of God among His people. So they would think about the tabernacle and God dwelling with His people and moving with His people. And now Jesus is about to take that to the next level. So He's going to reframe the Feast of the Tabernacles, right? And He's going to talk about the presence of God no longer being in a tent, but being inside of us. And here's how He said it. Jesus stood up and He cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Here's what I need you to hear. If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is not a religious call. What Jesus is doing is he's looking out at a group of people and he's saying, listen, if you've had a hard life, listen, if you've ever had to struggle with disappointment, if you've ever known disillusionment, if you've ever known pain, or hardship, or loss. I want you to come and follow me. And I will quench your thirst. I will make up for all of that. That's the call here. If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then look how he explains how this thirst will be quenched in verse 38 he says whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and then we have an editor that kind of tells us what this meant and it's in verse 39 now this he said about the what about the spirit whom those who believed in Him were yet to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. And we know when the Spirit came, right? Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out on mankind through Jesus. And we're told here yet, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's all I need us to see. That Jesus likens the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine to an ever-flowing river. Just, he just says, like, rivers of water will just flow, flow through. Any man or woman that would say yes to me, there will be a constant flow, a constant provision of my resources in the life of that man or that woman when they say yes to me. Now, I, want to, I really want to help us understand this and get at what I think is kind of the ethereal call that Jesus is making here. 
So one of the good things about being a teaching pastor is that I can show clips from movies that like I really like. And I want to show you one of those clips this morning. This is a clip from a movie called A River Runs Through It. Now this is an older movie. It came out in the early 90s. It won all kinds of awards when it came out. And it's about a man by the name of Norman McLean who grew up in Missoula, Montana, fly fishing the Blackfoot River. And what I love about this movie is that time and time again in this movie, this river is a picture of grace to this family of fly fishermen all their lives. It provides them with rest. It provides them with reflection. It provides them with stillness. It provides them with joy. It provides them with awe. It provides them with wonder. And it just flows all through their lives. And Norman would meet a young woman named Jessie and marry her. And the, the whole movie is about um, his, him reflecting back on these powerful relationships in his life and the powerful force of this river in his life. And in the end scene of this movie, he's old and he's reflecting back once more on the power of this river. And I want you to watch this scene with me as he reflects on the people and the river that have just meandered through his life. So listen, why does a scene like that stir something in our hearts. I'll tell you why. Because in the beginning, when God put a man and a woman in the garden, there was a river in that garden. And in the end, when God will build a new city, in Revelation 22, it says that a river will run right through that new city and that that by that river will grow trees whose leaves will bring healing to all of the nations. All of the nations healed through uh, the trees that will grow along that river. In the beginning there was a river. In the end there will be a river. And in the middle there's a river. And that river runs through you. And that river runs through me. And through that spirit, through that river, we're meant to find refreshment and joy and wonder and awe. And we're meant to wade into the miraculous. And we're meant to get our feet wet there. And we're meant to experience just a little in this life of what it means as one who would walk with God by that Spirit who lives and moves and breathes within each of us. But make no mistake, friends, that Spirit, that river is meant to be your refreshment. He is meant to be your sustainer. This is the hope held out by the gospel. That the Spirit of God would take up residence in you and share all of the resources of God with you in the deepest places of your innermost being. Friends, this is an incredible thing. 
and an incredible day. And who wouldn't say yes to that? I did decades and decades and decades ago. And I've never looked back. And you know what? I know there may be one or two of you in here. And you need to say yes. You need to receive that Holy Spirit. This is about, you know, sometimes people will say this. They'll say, well, you know, I just want to get my life cleaned up. And then when my life is clean enough, then I'll come to Jesus. Folks, that's like the anti-gospel. That's like the perversion of the gospel that Paul's been talking about this entire time, right? The gospel is this. No, I come to Jesus and I allow His Spirit to clean up my life by His power and His might. Not mine, not through my own. There's not enough self-discipline in the world. There is not enough of your effort in the world to clean up your life. But Jesus has all the power that you need. And He will bring His Spirit to make sure as a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. Isn't that awesome? So let me pray for you. And while I'm praying for you, I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. Heavenly Father, I just uh, want to pray for every man and woman here. And I ask, Lord, that as I um, just do a couple more minutes of teaching before we worship, that you would uh, do a good work in us and that you would really drive home everything that we've said in these next few moments. And I just want to ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, so I forgot something that was super important, so I'm going to have the team just kind of stand up here for a few minutes. So I have something up here this morning. Uh, What's interesting about this is that we actually stole this uh, from the front porch of one of our our members this morning. And so if you recognize this, Matt, and you're here this morning, the reason you recognize it is because it's probably yours, okay? If you were missing one. Uh, Literally, I'm not making this up. We really did uh, theft in the name of Jesus. Amen. (laughs) So, uh, so... Here's what I want to do with this welcome mat. I just want to point out, right, we we walk up to homes, we see these in homes, and interestingly enough, these are for more than just to clean our feet, right? These, these, I mean, sure, some of us wipe our homes. Some of us don't wipe our feet on these. Some of us just track mud and grime into the homes of our neighbor and don't think a thing about it, right? I'm not, I'm just saying, I'm not bitter, I'm just, just saying, right? But, but it's more than just having clean feet when you walk in a house, right? When you and I see one of those mats in someone's house, when we approach a house with one of those, um, you're saying to anyone that would approach your home, not just I want you to have clean feet, you're saying, look, we welcome you here. Like, like we, you know, you're special here. Like, you're our guest here. Come in. I mean, come all the way in here and we're going to make you feel right at home you know um and for jesus from the perspective of jesus listen to me the key to the victorious christian life is that you have one of these at the base of your heart at the base of your mind every moment of every day 
as it would relate to the Holy Spirit of God. That you would say dozens and dozens of times every day, you are welcome here. Your power reigns in me. You have stationed me here. I will live through you and by you. And folks, that's active. Like a lot of times I hear people say it this way, and this is so sloppy. Well, hey, just let go and let God. That's nonsense. It isn't about just letting go and letting God. It's about pressing in actively. This is not passive. Keeping in step with the Spirit is active. It is not passive. And so what I want to ask you to consider is what area, in what area of your life, listen to me, your one and only life, do you need to say to the Holy Spirit of God, you are welcome here. You are welcome in me. And I will live out of you. I will live out of your flow. I will live out of your provision. I will live out of the river of your mercy and grace that you provide to me. But you are welcome in me. So as we get ready to, uh, to worship and to take communion together, what I want to do for just a moment is I want to pray for you. I want to pray that by that Spirit of God, that He would speak to some of you just in a moment of silence and communicate to you the area of your life where you need to put out the welcome mat. And then I want to challenge you, will you do it? Will you live out of that provision? Will you experience the supernatural, miraculous Christian life that you were meant to and not a life that you tried to carve out of self-discipline or self-effort? The Christian life is a Spirit-filled life. And if it isn't a Spirit-filled life, then it's absolutely nothing at all. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray by that Spirit that lives and moves and breathes in each of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would communicate with every man and woman and child that would call, that your Spirit would call home. I pray that you would communicate to them an area of their life that they need to more welcome you and more welcome your work. And I pray that in this next moment of silence, Lord Jesus, that you would speak very loudly into their spirits and that you would reveal to them where they need to hang that welcome mat. So God, would you speak in these next few moments right now? So speak, Lord, your servants here. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you sent your Holy Spirit. And it's in that Spirit that we live and that we move and that we have our very being. Mm. And so we give you thanks and we ask for wisdom to press into him. In Jesus' mighty name, mm. amen.